third and final hour of the first three-hour show for us here on a CFL Free Agency Tuesday. Reminder coming up for you at noon. We are back on the air until 3 p.m. as we bring you all the CFL Free Agency updates. Probably won't be a lot of breaking news on that one. That's okay. It gives us a great excuse to talk CFL for three hours for you here in the middle of the cold, snowy Hamilton February. Let's welcome in our next guest. It is Dave Marler. Former Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterback uh, back in the day, but talk a little bit about that. But we wanted to also have him on because he has a, a direct connection to now Super Bowl champion, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course, Bruce Arians. Dave, thank you for being on with us first and foremost. How are things? Uh, doing well, Marshall. How are you doing? Excellent. We're excited to have you on here because it's not very often that we get a local Hamilton connection to a Super Bowl championship winning head coach, but you had a chance to work with Bruce Arians at the very earliest stages of his career, which I find to be incredibly intriguing, talking to mutual friend Ron Foxcroft about this yesterday, and he said, you know, you should, you should probably have Dave on. I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have him on because coaches evolve over time. They change their strategies, their X's and O's, but it's also just the person that changes and develops. You got him right out from being a grad assistant at Virginia Tech after he left Virginia Tech Tell me about Mississippi State Bruce Arians and what it was like to work with him. Did you see what was coming? Did you see that there was the potential there? Or was he just a guy who's coaching receivers and RBs on staff? Well, you know, uh, we're going back 43 years now. Yeah. So my senior year in university in Mississippi State, uh, of course, we brought Bruce in. And, uh, you know, he was only three years different than I was at the time. I was 22. He was 25. Um, and you got to have to, to kind of know the background. I was the kicker uh, at Mississippi State my uh, junior year, uh, and I didn't get to play quarterback but one year. It was my senior year, hmm. um, and it was because of Bruce Arians um, recognizing that uh, my arm was stronger and, and maybe a little more polished than the quarterbacks they had. So I got a chance to play quarterback, and, uh, of course, he uh, taught me a lot of things. Um, and we started a relationship then and still have that relationship today. Uh, Dave, when you look at Bruce and the trajectory of his coaching career, you know, he stepped away from the game for a little bit, and then obviously he came back to to Tampa Bay last season and, you know, coached a team that maybe talent-wise on paper wasn't, you know, the best. But as soon as, you know, Tom Brady came in, the expectations go up. But it seemed that Bruce Arians was ready to lead that charge. He's always done that. Uh, if you look at his coaching uh, history, uh, everywhere he's, he's coached, uh, he's had top-level quarterbacks, uh, all-pro uh, quarterbacks, per se. Um, and I guess because Bruce is uh, an ex-quarterback himself, uh, they call him the quarterback whisperer, he really gets into the head of a quarterback. He understands what's going on through the course of the game. Uh, he gets the maximum output from his quarterbacks simply because he puts them at ease. Uh, he allows them to work through a game plan uh, based on their strengths, uh, per se. Um, and, and guys over the years have just thrived uh, kind of under his uh, tutelage there. Um, and that's kind of continued with Brady. Of course, you don't have to teach Brady anything. Uh, but it's allowing Brady to use his skills uh, to a maximum level. 
I saw this. Many people saw it of it at the beginning of the season. Uh, but certainly it played out in the second half of the season. You know, they're undefeated on about uh, 11 straight games or something. Yeah, absolutely. Went on a big run there right to the championship as it is. Dave Marler joining us here on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Uh, the the interesting aspect I found in the middle of the year, you know this, Dave. Everybody was criticizing the Buccaneers and Bruce. And I'm sure you talked to him about it where he said, you know, every, we're trying to figure this thing out. We need some time. We didn't have the OTAs in the training camp and the preseason. And the just got thrown into the fire with a 43-year-old quarterback and a bunch of new faces and new names and trying to make it right it basically took right up until the very end to figure out how to make it work but at one point during the regular season I saw a statistic that I, I think it was ESPN or Fox that pumped it out and they said Bruce Arians first year with quarterbacks is always their highest in terms of interceptions because he loves to throw vertically he loves to take shots and it's one of those things that takes a little bit of time to develop and to get used to and to Brady's credit working with Bruce and Byron Leftwich, which I know Bruce talks glowingly about it went down really quickly. It was high at the start, and it, he just, he figured it out, and he was able to move on. Uh, my question is twofold for you. One, what was Dave Marler's interception total in his first year with Bruce Arians? Because I'm wondering <laughs> if you apply to the rule. And secondly, uh, I'm wondering why you think that is, that it takes a little time to learn working with Bruce. But once you do, man, does it ever pay off. Um, first of all, when, when, when I played, uh, we only have a, had 11-game schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't play the, the games that they're, they're playing these days. I had 11 interceptions over 11 games, which, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't huge, but right. it wasn't extremely low either. Um, you know, they didn't throw the ball 40 years ago the way they do now. We certainly didn't have offensive outputs the way they do now. Uh, but basically, uh, more to your question, he wants the quarterback uh, to feel free. He wants, uh, you know, to send the ball downfield. Uh, no biscuit, no risk it is his, uh, his motto, basically. Um, and so, you know, quarterbacks are going to kind of let it fly early on. And then they finally kind of realize that, okay, um, you know, I'll take my shots uh, when the opportunity, pres- you know, presents itself. But I don't have to go deep uh, all the time. So guys just kind of settle into uh, to a routine of if they're going to give it to me, I'll take it. If not, I'll look for something underneath. And uh, they just progress and get better with that type of philosophy. Uh, Dave, Marsha and myself were having a conversation this morning about you know Tom Brady coming into Tampa Bay, and I said maybe the biggest asset that – Bruce Arians, you know, gave to Tom Brady was this sense of freedom with the offense and even personnel decisions as well with him bringing in a couple of bodies that he was familiar with. When a guy comes in with that much of a resume, you kind of just let him do his own thing and allow him to be successful because he's been there and done that before. What is it about Bruce Arians' personality that allowed him to take that kind of backseat and allow Tom Brady to do what he will with the offense because you've been around the game a long time and that is hard to do for a coach to, to take a backseat and, and let a player decide his own fate i i just kind of think it's just bruce arians uh, his personality he just wants to see a guy uh get the most out of his ability uh you know running passing receiving whatever um you know bruce is such a down-to-earth type of guy uh, he's a straight shooter. He tells you exactly what's going on. Uh, as they say, he'll he'll get in your case when you're not doing something correctly. Uh, but uh, you know he'll give you a hug when you're doing um, you know not so good or whatever. All right. So he's just uh, a guy that just really um, is 
without ego, more or less. Um, you know, a guy that uh, really uh, tries to help a guy have uh, the best season, seasons he can. And that's basically, you know, what he's done through his career. Yeah, interesting. Is Dave Marler again joining us here on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Uh, another aspect of this, I'm wondering, back to your time at Mississippi State, and, and obviously it takes time to have influence over coaching staffs and decisions, but he is one of the most diverse coaching staffs that we've seen in recent history, and not just at positional groups or assistants or it's it's coordinators it's positions of power it's positions of decision making and none of that is shocking because obviously it's a huge detriment to the national football league and to college football that there's not been more of that in more prominent positions but with bruce it's not new you mentioned yesterday when we were emailing the idea of the nfl network of football life and i've seen that in the past he makes a point in the documentary and knowing that he's using that platform of nfl network and the coverage that that documentary was going to get of saying Listen, this isn't weird. This shouldn't be different. This should be the norm. I'm I'm the one who's doing things the normal way. Everybody else is doing it backwards. Uh-huh. That has to be something that was very apparent from him early on, I would imagine. Well, yeah, it was because he kind of distinguished himself from uh, even other coaches on the team. Uh, you know, he was just a receivers quarterback coach with me. Um, he wasn't the head coach. He wasn't the offensive coordinator. But he was the one guy out of all that group back at the university that could get through to the quarterback. So the head coach recognized that. So even though this guy was not, uh, say, the offensive coordinator, he was the guy that was calling the plays. He was the guy that had the connection with the quarterback. And he basically made the offense work, uh, even not necessarily that was his job description, let's say. Mm-hmm. Dave, you had the opportunity, and you know, I don't want to bring up bad memories, the 68th Great Cup. You saw, speaking of these black uh, athletes that receive opportunities, what was it like to line up against Warren Moon? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, it, it was pretty special. I mean, you know, we were totally, let's, let's be honest, we were kind of outclassed uh, in, in that particular Great Cup. You know, that was number three, I believe, in Edmonton's uh, string of five in a row. Uh, so, you know, we were certainly playing against um, one of the best teams of all time. Um, you know, in one sense, you're kind of proud. You're kind of part of that history. You're not real happy that you got beat as bad as we did. Um, but uh, we made it. Uh, there were seven other teams in the league at that time that would have loved to have been in our spot. Uh, but certainly Warren Moon went on to, you know, show everybody in Canada and the NFL that, uh, you know, he's one of the best that ever played. Uh, Dave, I have a friend, uh, and, you know, every year he goes to about five or six college football games down south, and he says one of the favorite places that he goes to, and he tries to, you know, pick a game every couple of years, is Starkville, Mississippi, to go watch a Mississippi State game. And he talks about... He talks about the mud fields, uh, the tailgates, and just the atmosphere uh, that's down there. What was it like playing football, college football, in Starkville, Mississippi? Um, if 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 no one has ever hasn't ever been there, it's it's hard to describe, uh, really, because you know we had the smallest stadium in the whole Southeastern Conference. Uh, we were about sixty-five thousand or so. Okay. Uh, but we also probably had the loudest stadium, um, even compared to the 100-plus thousand that you get at Tennessee and LSU and, and certainly other schools as well. And that's basically because of cowbells. Uh, Mississippi State is known for cowbells. 
Um, I've taken my wife and kids down there. Uh, we've sat, um, you know, in the end zone. And, uh, you know, pregame or warm-ups before a play, it is deafening. You cannot hear uh, anybody within two feet of you. It is so loud. And that's something that a lot of people have never comprehended or experienced. Uh, and it's unique. Uh, and it really gets your adrenaline going. And, um, you know, as a kid growing up, I always wanted to do that. Didn't get to do it for my whole career, uh, but I had uh, one good year, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave Marler, Marler joining us here on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. It's it's funny, the uh, the vitriol feeling, the emotions that get elicited by certain sounds. I imagine for you, you could be walking down the street in Hamilton or even at a Ticats game now, hear a cowbell and your head snaps around and all of a sudden your pulse starts to go up a little bit just because of that experience. For sure, yeah. I mean, it, it is a recognizable sound. Uh, it's, it's unique. Uh, Mystic State is known throughout the South for the cowbells. And, uh, yeah, if I hear that at a game, I kind of laugh at some of the Tiger Cat games. I'm going, guys ringing a bell three or four rows from me. And what I'm going, that's not a cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you a cowbell. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dave, it's interesting because, obviously, you played here in Hamilton a long time ago, and you decided to stick around. What was it about the city of Hamilton they connected with when you arrived here? Um, I really enjoyed the people. Um, I've said this before, you know, going in the South, um, having an option to, to play professional football. Uh, I didn't really care where it was, but I certainly fell in love with Hamilton. Uh, some people might not remember I was drafted by Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I came to Hamilton, never even went to Buffalo's uh, mini camp. So it came straight, straight to Hamilton. You know, played a few years here, met my wife, um, Retired, got into business, started having children, um, and never went back. Um, my family is still down in Mississippi, uh, but I've, uh, you know, I've been a Canadian since, basically. Amazing. And the last one I got for you today, Dave, is we appreciate your time and insight on all of this. Masoli or Evans? You got to oh pick one. Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> it's the worst question I, possible for anybody I, over the next couple of months because there is no wrong answer, but there is no right okay. answer. Okay, I'll answer that by saying this. Uh, uh, without offending anyone and giving full support to Coach O and his decisions he was, uh, he's going to make, we need both of them. Yep. And uh, it's going to be the result and the success of both of them working together that will get us to the Grey Cup. Um, so I'm, I'm absolutely happy that we signed both of them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just like as Mazzoli went down a year or two ago and Evans came in, it could be a reverse of that this year. So not choosing one, love to see both of them play, uh, and both of them healthy. Oh, sounds like you took poli when you were down there at Mississippi State. What a great <laughs> answer dancing around it. Listen, Dave, we appreciate the insight on all this stuff. It's it's great to connect with them. We'd love to have you back sometime soon down the road. Okay. Okay, guys, appreciate it, and have a great day. You too. Again, Dave Marler, uh, former quarterback at Mississippi State when Bruce Arians was there, and, of course, former Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterback as well. Our thanks to Ron Foxcroft for helping to set that up as well, giving us the connection on that one, because nice to be able to have some local connection to a Super Bowl champion. Still catches up with Bruce Arians a couple times a week. Ron was saying when I talked to him a little bit yesterday via email. So. If any, uh, if it ever comes the time that Martian Mello goes on the road, obviously Huntington, West Virginia for a Marshall <laughs> University uh, football game is a must-do. But like I was telling Dave, um, 
I have a buddy that he goes to. Yeah. That was, so many college football games. That, that caught Dave out of left field. He's like, really? You could hear in his voice. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. And he loves going to Starkville for Mississippi State games because he says it's crazy because there's nothing. It's it's almost like Orchard Park, right, where there's nothing there except the stadium. It's the same way in Starkville. The only difference is the roads are not asphalt. The roads are gravel and just mud. He goes, they got stuck once, and it, they played in a monsoon, and I think he went for an Alabama-Mississippi State game. And Mississippi State, like, wasn't a fantastic football team, but, like, they just had a blast at the game just because the atmosphere, like, the weather sucked, but the atmosphere was so good that it overcame it. And he's like, oh, i got to get back here. And I think he's been to, like, three or four Mississippi State games in Starkville. Uh, yeah, the atmosphere means more than anything a lot of the times, especially with the younger kids. But I would also say, like, the CFL could learn a little bit about that at some different stadiums outside of Hamilton. Yeah. I think Hamilton does a good job with it. but uh, that's More uh, mud roads leading to Tim Hortons Well, Field. it's funny you say that, too, because, <laughs> like, I went to Foxborough one time on summer vacation. We were driving down to Cape Cod. My dad said, do you want to pop over to Foxborough? It's basically on the way. It's barely out of the, out of the direction we're going. Said, of course, yeah. This is the the height of Tom Brady and everything he was accomplishing. So we went to the stadium. It was a couple weeks before training camp, went to the pro shop, you know, bought a Jersey and a t-shirt or whatever. But when I were driving in there, you get off the highway and it was gravel. Like Foxborough was gravel and you drive up over the hill and it's a shopping complex and 10,000 parking spots and a mall that surrounds Patriot place (laughs) right next to the stadium with Gillette on the hill. And then these perfectly manicured, 10 grass fields down below where they practice that's hidden behind tarps and and i remember thinking to myself this is the nf this is where tom brady calls home this is the spot he gets (laughs) off the highway and he drives on a gravel road in this town that is nothing if you ever drive through foxborough it's not exactly a metropolis and it's about half an hour outside of boston proper so it's the same thing for like buffalo bills players too right that's like and i think jim kelly mentioned this when he came to buffalo and remember jim kelly when he came to buffalo he didn't want to be in buffalo yeah uh right and then very quickly he acclimated himself to just the feeling of playing in Buffalo and Orchard Park and the people that live there as well, and he connected with them. But he said, you know, one of the biggest things for players coming into Buffalo that know nothing about the city or nothing about, you know, where the stadium is and things like that is just, at, like, getting used to living out in the middle of nowhere, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. people don't like that right especially when you have money and you're like oh wait i can live in miami where i'm like 10 minutes away from like the clubs and things like that or i can live in the middle of bleep nowhere (laughs) and i love this because i don't get bothered like yes buffalo bills players like you're known in the community but a lot of those guys like they walk, they go to the mall, they they go shopping, nobody stops them. Like, maybe you look like a football player, but, like, you're not going to get stopped unless you're a recognizable face. If you're Josh Allen, obviously, maybe you can't go to the grocery store. But, like, if you're an offensive lineman, if you're John Feliciano, <laughs> yeah, you can go, and nobody's going to know who the hell you are. <laughs> so true. Uh, you're let's... just the big guy that lives in Buffalo. Uh, let's get a quick break before we come back here on the other side, and uh, we'll sneak in some hockey headlines and scores from last night around the league before Jack Armstrong joins us to talk all things Toronto Raptors basketball on TSN 1150 in Hamilton.
Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mellow, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Thanks for being here with us. As always, we do appreciate it. All right, let's bounce around for a quick second here. All things surrounding the National Hockey League. As last night, in action on the ice, you had yourself a plethora of games. The Islanders, 2-zip over the Rangers. They shut out New York. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, 3-2 over Carolina. The Leafs and the Oilers get victories, 3-1 each there in the Northern Division. Tampa, 4-1. They continue to roll at this point over Nashville. And in a shootout, it was Arizona 4-3 over St. Louis as they continue to try and find their way through a bit of a, a stumbling start to begin the season there for Arizona. The standings as it is right now with the Leafs getting yet another victory here over the Vancouver Canucks. They are 10-2-1 and one on the year. They are three points ahead of Montreal for second in the Northern Division. It goes Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, and Edmonton with their victory. And Vancouver's loss has now crawled above the Canucks They've got themselves into the top four in the north. So now the bottom of the northern division goes Vancouver in the five spot, Calgary six, and you guessed it, Ottawa. Uh, they are down there in the seventh spot. They have a negative 26 goal differential thus far throughout the year. And they have once again lost themselves two straight on the year. But tops of the rest of the divisions, Boston is 8-1-2 and two in the east. Of course, Tampa is 8-1-1 and one in the central and St. Louis, despite losing last night, they are still tops right now with 13 games played, uh, which is four more than Vegas uh, to start off the year thus far. And another strange little twist of the scheduling and, of course, COVID restrictions. But seven and four right now for the Blues as they lead the West Division, Kyle. Yeah. Um, you know, going around the NHL, though, it's interesting because much like the NBA, just from optics, it doesn't look like anybody is, like, separating themselves no. like crazy from the pack. And where you can look at a team and it's like, oh, that team is a Stanley Cup contender, right? Tampa Bay still bleeping very good. Yeah. And they're going to be a problem when it comes to the postseason. Um, but you look around. It's funny. St. Louis, very good hockey team. They lose last night to Arizona in a shootout. Arizona also, surprisingly, fun hockey team to watch. I watched one of their <laughs> games last week. Uh, Connor Garland, who just like bursted onto the scene last year. You got called up, person on the scene last year, all of a sudden started scoring a bunch of goals, and everybody's like, oh, this isn't sustainable. This kid's not going to do anything. That kid can't stop scoring now. Yeah. And it's like, he's a no-name kid that plays in the desert. Nobody knows who he is unless you watch Arizona Coyotes games. And, like, he's one of the surprise stories of the National Hockey League season. So it's like all these storylines are popping up uh, around the NHL where it's like, oh, yeah, that team. They're, they're pretty good. Like Carolina, for example. I know they lost last night to Columbus. But, like, that team is so young. But, man, they are so fun to watch. Mm -hmm. um, and, obviously, the Oilers figured, you know, their thing out last night, uh, beating a bad Ottawa Senators team. Look, I think Ottawa's – I think it's fair to say that they're going to finish basement in the, uh, in the North Division. Uh, for Ottawa, it's just about – just kind of learning from this, I guess you could say. Yeah, this is one of those growing pain seasons, and I, they know that, obviously, and they've got a lot of young talent, and they're hoping to develop it, and they, they tried yeah. to make some splashes throughout the offseason, but they've been thrown into this just twister of the North Division, which, let's be real, we were talking about the top end of the North earlier. The bottom end of the North, yes, you can't get much better because you can't have as much practice, and you don't have as much bonding time and figuring each other out, but the reality is, even if you can't have all those things, Toronto's a pretty damn talented team. Montreal's a pretty damn talented team. Like, Edmonton's extremely talented, and if they can ever figure out their back end consistently, they'll be right there with the Leafs and with the Habs at the top. Those are the top three teams in that division, with Winnipeg, of course, being right there in the mix, too, as a consistent playoff attendee. So if you're Ottawa, 
should have seen this coming. It's not as though you were going to overthrow the Leafs, the Habs, the Jets, and the Oilers based on talent alone. Yeah. So they knew this was coming, and hopefully they just developed from it. There's always that, you know, small thing of, oh, we can surprise people. Oh, we're going to be better than we are. Right. And it's like sometimes it's a sobering feeling when you realize, oh, we are what we are, <laughs> and we're not very good, and we are bad, and we're still probably two years away from being a playoff contender. Um, but that's the situation that Ottawa finds themselves in. Yep, nothing wrong with that. Let's get a quick break before you come back. Jack Armstrong on all things Toronto Raptors basketball. It's Marsh and Mellow, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mellow, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Reminder coming up for you. We are back on air at noon today, noon to 3 p.m. CFL free agency here. We'll give you some CFL chatter and have some laughs and some fun on a snowy Tuesday in the Hammer last night around the NBA. Charlotte won 1994 big over the Rockets. The Wizards 105-101 over the Bulls. Dallas 127-122 over Minnesota. Five-point victory there. San Antonio, DeMar DeRozan 105-100 over the Warriors. 119-113 Phoenix over Cleveland. Milwaukee wins big over Denver. And the Lakers in overtime get past yeah. Oklahoma City, which was an interesting one. But, of course, the Raptors 128 113 was the final as Jack Armstrong joins us as always here on the program to break it down and give you his thoughts on the night's events. Thanks for being with us, Jack. As always, the uh, the top end scoring last night. We'll get to the Nick Nurse and the ejection, all the rest, the impact it had. But the top end scoring to me was really the storyline coming out of this one last night where you'd get Pascal for 32 and Fred for 32. I said this morning before you joined us. If you get that anywhere close to being consistently, I'm going to bet on the Raptors being able to pull out the victory, even without Kyle Lowry or Nick Nurse on the bench. Add in Norm Powell getting 29. Now I'm really betting on you getting the win. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, when you get those three guys playing at such a high level, and and as we all know, they had to because uh, you don't have OG Ananobi. Kyle Lowry has to leave with back spasms. And suddenly uh, you're in a position where it's it's difficult to to find offense in other places, uh, and, and so those guys needed to step to the forefront and play at an incredibly high level, and they all did, which was a, a really cool storyline for the game last night. And then obviously their defense uh, just picked it up to a whole nother level. Uh, they don't win that game without uh, finally getting dialed in and, and focused on what they needed to do on the defensive end. Uh, they looked like a dramatically different team uh, when you know when when that took place. And um, you know, to me, I think uh, you know I've said it before: for this team to be good and be successful, uh, they got to be a team that uh, you know does the things uh, on the defensive end that give them a chance to win and give them a chance to run and and play with energy and play with pace. And uh, I thought they did that last night, uh, particularly as the game went on. And uh, that was just a fun, fun win for them. And uh, they got to build on that now. You know, going into last night's game, obviously nobody expected Kyle Lowry to, you know, have the game that he did and then obviously leave with the back spasms. You know, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, 32 points, but Norm Powell, 29 Eight straight games with at least 18 points for Norm. What are you seeing in his game that offensively is a lot more confident to get his own shots and be successful that way? I, I just think, uh, to me, uh, personally, it's uh, the, the, the starting element is it, what a difference. What is the average? Uh, 20, 21 points as a starter and only 10 as a reserve. Mm-hmm. I think when you play with better players, the quality of shots you get are better. Uh, you, you might not get as much 
of them. You know, like when you play with a second unit, they might need you to take more shots. But I, I think you're more of the focal point of the opposing defense, and therefore the, the quality of shot per trip is probably more difficult. So if you can live with the fact that maybe you don't get as many chances, but the chances you get are better, uh, you know, I, I think those are better odds for you to look better. And I, I just think that he's getting great looks. And therefore, if you're prepared and you put the time in skill-wise and you're a pro and, and he's all those things, uh, you know, when you get really good chances, uh, you're going to make a lot of them because you're prepared to play and you could, you're skilled. And uh, uh, he's getting a lot of open shots. He's execution's good. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a guy like Siakam gets a double team or a Lowry or Van Vliet are so good getting the ball into the paint, and now people got to swarm and help at the rim, and, you know, you're getting good luck. looks, and he's doing a great job. He's gotten better and better as his career has gone on as well, playing without the ball. I think that if I had to pick uh, so often in our society, we focus on the guy with the ball. But a lot of times what happens is what you do before you get it, uh, that, that, that sets you up for the moment when you do have it. And I think Powell has gotten better uh, when he doesn't have the ball of, of just not standing there and being a spectator. He's actually got a method to his madness, and he's moving to the proper spot. So when the ball finds him on the catch, he's automatically ready to shoot it, automatically ready to make the next play. And that's what good players do. That's what guys that are maturing and seeing the whole game. The game's a little bit more in slow motion. They understand what the other nine guys on the floor are doing and where they fit in the grand scheme of things. And I just see a guy that's more mature uh, in his approach, more polished, more professional in everything that he does. Uh, One of my favorite football books by Pat Kerwin, Take Your Eye Off the Ball, How to Watch Football. (laughs) One of the first books that I read when I was a kid was, (laughs) hey, if you want to understand what's happening here, take your eye off of it. That absolutely applies to Norm and what he's doing right now. I'm wondering, Jack, when you talk about him being in the starting lineup, is there a specific player that you think is really good for Norm Powell's game that really helps access his game? Is it Fred, like you say, coming off pick and rolls? Is it the uh, advent of having Pascal Siakam working off of that high block or low block area where he's kind of spacing the floor and kind of playing off of that? Is there one guy you've noticed where it's, okay, you put these two together. I know there's these advanced analytics on uh, combinations of guys and plus minus and per 36 points when two players together, all of that. But just to your eye, what do you see in terms of players that are helping Norm create that when he's in the starting lineup? Well, I would definitely say Fred, uh, because of you know just the you know, he he keeps his dribble alive and he gets in there deep and, uh, and again Powell's gotten better playing off of that. Uh, so I would definitely say that. And I would tag your other point as well. When you, uh, in in our league, when you have a guy that can uh, attract a second defender, uh, every player gets better. And and you know you look at Siakam and how he blew up originally, particularly late in the playoff run, championship run two years ago, you're playing with Kawhi. Mm-hmm. And Kawhi is a guy that, you know, you got to send a second defender his way. And now it's four on three somewhere else. There's more gaps to attack. Uh, you're getting a little less attention. You, 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 you have an opportunity to be, take advantage of those things. So, uh, you know, Siakam in that left post in particular, well, you know, you saw Memphis last night that you would send multiple bodies at him. 
Siakam's uh, done a beautiful job of growing and maturing as a passer. He's averaging close to five assists a game. And I just think his overall court awareness and ability to make plays is such that he's a guy to play with, uh, that you, you enjoy playing with. And, and here's the other thing. When you look at a guy like Norm, he's played with Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and Kyle Lowry for a while. There's a sixth sense there that they have um, that you know all I have to do is look at you and you know where you should be going because there's trial and error involved in it. And uh, to me, that's why, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, you you'll look even at the high school level and you'll say, you know, that group of, of players. Uh, is dominated by grade 11 and grade 12 guys. And then you'll watch another team that might have a few young stars that are in grade 9 or 10, but they can't beat the team with, with more experience. And to me, it's still a team sport, and it's still chemistry. And uh, as much as you want to be, you know, like everyone wants to, the hype machine has surrounded Zion Williamson. The last time I checked, his team has a losing record. Um, it, it still comes down to being functional and, and a team and building a team. And, uh, and I think that's a big part of it. So uh, you got to have that kind of chemistry. And, you know, again, the Raptors, uh, it, it's not an easy uh, road this year because you, you really, really miss a, a Serge Ibaka, Barker, so, but Ibaka, in my opinion, a lot more. Uh, but you miss that a lot. And you see there are times at Baines, has had some good games, but he's also really struggled that they really missed that. Uh, Jack, I want to steer the conversation to Chris Boucher. 12-10 and 10 last night, obviously finished the game a lot better than he started. It's funny because we've talked about the body type of Boucher before and that, you know, maybe he's never going to be a force on the glass, but how aggressive he's become in terms of attacking the rim, not just with the ball, but also on rebound attempts, and he's able to keep the ball alive. Is that what you used to tell a player, that maybe physically he didn't have the ability to be a dominant rebounder, but with effort and being aggressive going towards the ball, he can make up for that a little bit? Totally. I mean, uh, what is he? he's wiry strong, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you might look at him and say he has no strength, and there are times he's overwhelmed. I mean, going against Jonas uh, Valanciunas yeah. last night, there were a few plays that he was just overwhelmed, but not for lack of fight. And to me, I think that, you know, you look at Kyle Lowry guarding people in the post. Uh, you know, he's given up a lot, but, not, he's, but, but he's not given up the mental game. And to me, I think Boucher has that uh, element in him that, that there's just a, a great resolve about him and, and a purpose and that uh, he loves the game. He plays it hard. He plays it to the best of his ability, and he's going to leave it all out there. And, and I respect that. And uh, he's going to leave some shots out there, too. I mean, he's going to shoot it, and you're going to say, what the – and the ball goes in. But he's got, uh, he's got belief. And I, I just – I admire that. I respect that, that he's – you know, he might not win the beauty contest because you look at him, you go, this guy doesn't look like he fits the part. But nonetheless, if, when you watch the games – and you see, you say, man, oh, man, this guy's surviving out there. And, and many nights he's thriving out there, above surviving. So, uh, you know, that in a lot of ways is something that uh, uh, is really a fun thing to watch. And, and, and I'm happy for him because now, you know, he, he's got, he had a great start to this season. And as we all know in sports, everyone goes through those little lulls. 
and he went through it. He had an eight-game stretch where he really struggled. And now in the last three, even though last night wasn't uh, picturesque, uh, he still managed a double-double and still managed a lot of different ways to help his team win. To me, I think that, that shows a sign that that guy is, again, maturing and growing as a player. Uh, that you know now he's got a little higher uh, ranking on the scatter report from opponents, and people aren't giving him as much. Uh, can you figure it out? And he's doing that. He is Jack Armstrong joining us here on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. You, uh, you mentioned there having a lot of respect for certain guys, and that takes me to JV. How much fun was he last night? I mean, 27 and 20, and did it feel, because I know this is the conversation, if you're doing other radio hits across the country, this is probably a consistent question you're getting, but didn't it feel like that's, that's the type of guy you'd love to have right now? I know that a lot of people long for the DeMar and JV era of Raptors basketball because they loved that team so much because they were kind of the team that was on the ascent on their way up before they reached the mountaintop, but it feels like people have this romanticism with JV, and last night is only going to multiply that. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, if you look at him and compare him to Baines, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, if, if, if you, you you know, you say, man, if I could plug Valanciunas into this team right now, what kind of team would I have? I mean, you'd probably have a top four Eastern team at this stage. But, you know, there's a there's a rhyme and reason for everything. Yeah. And uh, that rhyme and reason ended up, uh, Jonas had developed to a point where he was a, a really uh, desired asset. And it worked out great that you could get Marcus Sewell. And even though Mark was at the end of his career, uh, what he brought uh, was something that could help you win a championship. And with Gasol for two years, you won a championship in the one, one season he played for you. And then last season, the other year he played for you, you had the second best record in the NBA. You know, so I think that's pretty good return on investment. And, you know, it's the same with DeMar DeRozan. It was heartbreaking uh, to lose him. But, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard in his one season with the Raptors delivered a title. So, you know, the impact on the business of, of basketball and the impact on the business of the Toronto Raptors in terms of growing the game nationally across Canada, um, you make those moves and you look back on it now, they were, they were, they were definitely worthy investments. Uh, now, what those investments are going to be going forward and the decisions that are going to be made to kind of restructure, rebuild, get this team uh, headed in the championship path again, you know, only time will tell what those are. But nonetheless, those are the necessary steps you got to take. Uh, Jack, continuing with the game last night, it was interesting, and I brought it up earlier on the show. Um, you know, there was a point at the beginning of the fourth quarter when Fred Van Vliet needed a rest, and there was kind of a weird lineup for the Raptors because DeAndre Bembry ended up being the primary ball handler for the Raptors. When you look at Bembry, he was 3 of 3 last night, 25 minutes. He's not going to score a bunch for you, but he can fill that void in terms of being the role player, and he played a hell of a defense on John Morant last night. Has he kind of settled into what Nick Nurse wants from him? Yeah, I'm impressed. Uh, I think, you know, particularly with OG Ananobi out of the lineup, uh, I, I just think that uh, Nick Nurse is, you know, Stanley Johnson's given them good minutes and Watanabe. Uh, but I, I think Bembry gives them a little bit more in terms of ball handling and passing, uh, a little more of a pure uh, playmaker than the other two that I just mentioned. So he's, uh, you know, he kind of. He's got a nice, one play that I didn't like. I mentioned it, you know, where Boucher ch- charged 
and he kind of put Boucher in a bad spot. But overwhelmingly, otherwise, I mean, he made some really good reads, good decisions. Uh, his defense on John Morant, by the way, was excellent. I mean, he just stayed with him. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too. I think I made this point last night on TV. I can't remember half the things I say. Most, I can't remember <laughs> most of the things I say. I just get kind of in the moment. Uh, but, you know, you look at him in Atlanta. I would watch him in Atlanta, and he looked like a guy on a, a bad team that was trying to do too much. Uh, you know, whereas I look at him now, and I wouldn't say the Raptors are a great team, but they're a team that has pedigree. Uh, from winning a championship and having the second-best record in the league last year. And obviously, they've had challenges this year. But nonetheless, there's that different, relaxed feeling and a feeling of, we know how to do this. Um, and I think he's come in, and he's a little bit more uh, bought into what they need him to do and playing a role and playing a role well. I think the fact that he didn't play a lot early, uh, for whatever you know reason, right, wrong, or indifferent, I think that has a humbling effect on guys. And uh, you, you come in and you're more willing to say, okay, what do you need from me, coach? And I'll do it. And, uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing because right now he's giving them playmaking. Uh, he takes the right shots. Uh, he's a good defender. He's smart. He's tough. He's competitive. He's got a lot of really good attributes uh, that, you know, he's a very good player in college at St. Joe's for a friend of mine, Phil Martelli. Uh, so he's been coached, I can tell you that. And um, he knows how to play, and he's showing it right now. Jack, after the rough start to this season, the Raptors have clawed their ways back into a, a playoff spot, and it's clear this team still has the talent to make some noise in the playoffs. Do you see any additions that this team needs to make, though, before they can truly make themselves into that way? Uh, I think it's, you know, I, I agree with you on all those points, and and I, I you know I do I think that they uh, can be a top eight team and be a playoff team. Yeah. Uh, now, is their margin of error very slim? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a, a scuffle the whole year. Uh, are they going to be a big buyer? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if they will be. Uh, seller? I'm not sure if they. You know, it could be a hold position. Or I would, if I had to lean one direction or the other, it would probably be a hold sell rather than a hold buy. Uh, but if they were to go buy, and I don't know if it would be big, uh, you know, I, I, I look at that five spot right now. Uh, I just don't know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, Baines to me screens, uh, he guards. But there are times his, his ability to rebound in traffic and his ability to finish around the basket, those two things are things that are jumping out at me right now that he just doesn't do well enough enough right now, and they need better from him. Uh, but on the other hand, I think if you get a healthy Ananobi back, and now Powell's playing so well as a starter, uh, maybe things get reconfigured minutes-wise, and it gets to a point where he just plays a ceremonial five, six minutes each half uh, based upon a matchup, and that's it, and you kind of go with a different look. Uh, I don't know at this stage, but you know, I think the five spot is definitely a problem. Uh, you know, and, and Boucher, I, I like him coming in from a transitional standpoint, five six minutes into the game, where he gets to play against starters, but he gets to play against second unit guys too. That helps him a little bit, not have to do heavy lifting every play the entire night, and. Uh, so I would say that's an area to keep an eye on. Uh, 
But, you know, it's easy for, for you to say, hey, that's the, the flaw uh, and hard to fix it. Uh, and what assets is it going to cost to fix it? And where, where do you want this thing to go anyway? Like, where is this thing headed? What is Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster's long-term vision for, for this group and how you want this thing to start to evolve? You got Lowry, a free agent at the end of the year. You got Norm Powell who can opt out of his deal. And the way he's playing right now, I would be stunned if he doesn't opt out. Hmm. Uh, you know, are they with the team next year? So, uh, you know, a lot of those things are kind of, they aren't maybe, they might not be in the forefront of fans' minds right now trying to win a game right at this moment. But believe me, executives are always thinking three, four, five steps ahead of everyone else. Yeah, and that's why they have that money that they get paid to be able to think ahead of everybody else. Jack, great insight as always. We appreciate you, and we're looking forward to catching up with you on Thursday again. Oh, guys, my pleasure. Thanks. Have a great day, and good luck with the uh, CFL uh, free agency. Thank you. Everybody's already signed, so we'll be filling time like James Duthie during an NHL show. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's what we do. Uh, Jack Armstrong, as always, we love having him on, and uh, we know that you love hearing from Follow him on Twitter as well, at Hello Jack. It's a great follow along there, and uh, get updated on all things that Jack Armstrong is doing. Let's get a quick break, come back on the other side real quick, and say goodbye on a Tuesday for three hours until we come back and do another three-hour show. It's Marshall Mello, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. It is Marsh and Mellow, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Thank you for being here with us throughout the morning. It has been a fun show. Raptors, Leafs, some NFL news and notes, some discussion on Bruce Arians, the Hall of Fame. Dave Marler, former Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterback, joining us here on the program. Again, our thanks uh, being able to have Ron Foxcroft assist us on that one. And uh, coming up for you in three hours' time on the dot, we will have for you our CFL free agency special. Myself, Kyle Mello, Ristomani on the board in here as it will be 12 to 3 this afternoon live for you. Free agency officially opens at noon. Not a lot of names on the board, but we will still bring you a, a hearty CFL discussion for three hours on the program. And we're looking forward to being able to do that for you coming up again in just a couple of hours. So follow along with us at Marsh and Mello at TSN 1150. If you're working from home, we're looking to basically just give you an excuse if you're a CFL fan to... Uh, Stop paying attention to whatever your boss wants you to yeah. do for three hours and hang out with us and have some laughs and talk about some stuff that's happened in the league over the last couple of months. Because any excuse we have to be able to turn your attention towards the CFL and have some fun with it, we are absolutely willing to do so. And if you get uh, five minutes into our show and uh, realize that, uh, wow, you forget everything that happened in the CFL, Us don't too. worry, we're in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're working under the same pretenses, my friends. So there's been a lot of learning for me going through and looking at some of these free agency lists and going, wait, Chris, I thought Chris Rainey was. I have to pull up depth charts because oh, I yeah. can't even remember what happened like two years don't ago. Don't worry, we'll get you right. We'll get you all set up. I, it's funny, though, because I forget so much. But at the same time, the last time that we had football was 2019. And because of the analysis that I've done on CFL.ca, I'm the most educated person on the 2019 CFL season on planet Earth. I know every ass. I know run pass percentages off the top of my head. <laughs> I understand personnel groupings. I know who had an up year and a down year. Now, a lot of that I had to learn, though, because a lot of it I took for granted where it was like Edmonton. Oh, yeah, it's just Trevor Harrison, Greg Ellingson. Uh, Ricky Collins Jr. was amazing and he got released. And he's still available as of me talking into this microphone right now, which might change. I'm not sure by the time we get back on air at noon. So, yeah. Any thoughts on what the Hamilton Tiger Cats will do with, say, Mike Fowler or the Sam linebacker? Fowler's not coming back. Uh, that was confirmed by Steve Milton last night on the Hamilton Spectator. So I, I will dedicate a chunk of uh, our opening to Mike Fowler coming up at yeah. noon because I do want to talk about him and what he's meant to the organizer. He's the last Tiger Cat to ever play at Ivor Wynn. 
Yeah. Like that era in Ticats football, he Man. was the last piece of that piece of history in this organization. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. What they're going to do with, I think, Larry Dean is interesting. How soon that gets announced here this morning, if indeed it does get announced, because I assume it's going to get announced. But Javon Sanders-Knox also got signed on, and he's been a rotational guy at times, but he's good enough certainly to be a starter. Maybe he saves you a little bit of money if they is don't. Is he the backup to Simone now? I, I mean, he plays Will Linebacker as far as I know, and I don't know if that's a move into the middle or if there's a transition there. So it's these are all the things that we will discuss on the show, and we are going to bounce through yeah. all of the teams. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is you know, I had a couple of people reach out to me. So what do you think the Ticats' biggest need is? And after the weekend, I got one thing. Long snapper, Aaron Crawford is gone. <laughs> I know, devastating, isn't it? <laughs> He's gone. Who's gonna snap the ball to the punter? Uh, we love that guy. Aaron Crawford was so good for them for so long. So we will discuss all of that. We're gonna pay attention to all the teams. Derek Taylor is gonna join us coming up at 1 p.m. this afternoon. Sean Burke of the Tiger Cats at two. Jeremiah Masoli is gonna join us at 1:30 in the afternoon to talk about his re-signing with the Tiger Cats, and we got a couple of other special guests planned for you as well. And so, how do I watch? Uh, well, fingers crossed. Stay tuned. Our social media channels at Martian Mellow at TSN 1150. We are looking to add a visual component to all of this. We are trying to get that off the ground. Again, I am underqualified to try and figure out engineering issues. God bless Barry. Uh, Barry is our engineer. And if we get off the ground, we will start the show at noon by celebrating Barry with fireworks and, uh, and get a cake or something for him in here because he has been with a hard hat on underneath the desk for about three straight days trying to figure out how to get us off the ground on that stuff. So we'll talk to you at noon. We thank you for tuning into the morning show. As always, we are back tomorrow morning, 6 to 9 a.m. As always, and looking forward to bringing you another morning of Marsh and Mellow right here on TSN 1150 in Hamilton.